Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Dr. Emily Setti joins the podcast this week, and Dr. Emily is a senior lecturer at the University of Surrey, and she is researching young people, harmful sexual behaviors, and online harms. And in this conversation, we dive deep into all of those topics, including masculinity, young people, and the topic of consent. In other news, this podcast is brought to you by Shop for Everybody. Shop for Everybody is the official home for Something for Everybody merchandise. And since you listen to this podcast, you can use the promo code SFE10 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. So head to the link in the show notes that says shopforeverybody.com and get your discounts now. Now, on to episode 214 of Something for Everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashvitz. Dr. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm very excited to uh, to chat with you about... Uh, you know what you're an expert in but before we get to all of that i have a very important question and that is how are you doing like actually really how are you doing um yeah you know okay i um at the time that we are recording i'm just coming to the end of my teaching semester at university and it has been pretty full-on and i'm exhausted from all of that so i am glad that the light is at the end of the tunnel so Better than I was if maybe you'd asked me um, a week or so ago when I was really wrung out. <laughs> what do you What do you enjoy most about teaching? Um, ah, good question. I think um, I like the kind of in the moment being able to talk about stuff with students and get them thinking in different ways and they make me think in different ways sometimes and they raise things and, and and they look at things from different angles and I really enjoy that side of it you know um teaching is very you know in, in education formal education these days can be very bureaucratic and you know there's exams and assessments and there's all those kind of sort of formal processes that you've got to go through but actually it's uh sort of connecting with people over the ideas and talking about it all, which is the best part of it really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think seeing, seeing people sort of understand maybe the, the mm -hmm. thing that they've been struggling with the sort of the light bulb moment, uh, it's yeah. much easier for me to see that. Cause I coach sports baseball specifically. Mm -hmm. You guys don't really play that, uh, where you're <laughs> from, but, <laughs> uh, in America it's quite popular. Uh, but like, yeah. you know, you're teaching someone and, you know, the sort of the hardest part about teaching or coaching is like figuring out each individual person and how they receive information well. That's sort mm -hmm. of, you know, the the struggle and the the really cool thing about it is you have to understand really what you're talking about and individually their personality to try and get them. And then they finally understand it and you're like, wow, that's the, like the coolest thing, yeah. you know, of yeah, all time. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, I think, um, you know, it's 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 difficult sometimes for people, isn't it? when someone say 
is struggling or not getting something. But the idea is that it's as much about you as the teacher as it is them. And it's how do you actually connect? It's such a kind of relationship that you have. And, you know, you're, you're in like a classroom or a big lecture room environment. And it's how do you actually like manage all of those different people and what they need and, and how to kind of adjust and fit to that. Um, but I think that's actually part of um, what makes it an important thing to do. And I think for like a subject like mine, that idea of, okay, people being able to understand stuff, that's great. Um, and also that idea of like thinking about things that they've never thought about before. Like I'm a big kind of believer in that idea of like open yourself up to new ideas, consider other perspectives and arguments. And, and, and you know, you might change your mind or you might refine the way that you think about something further. And I think that's a really great journey to go on with people. And I really enjoyed that. And if the students are open to it and then I'm doing it with them and, you know, it, it can be a really powerful relationship actually. Yeah. Yeah. Hugely powerful. Was there um, any teachers growing up that, that really changed your life or changed the trajectory of your life? Oh God. Yeah. Um, I am. Um, oh, it was quite funny. So I had like an, a, a sociology teacher at school and he was just like this unbelievable character. Like, I don't know what was going on with him. <laughs> but he'd go on, he, he did not care about like what you had to do for your GCSEs or A-levels or anything, he, like all the syllabus and the curriculum and stuff was out the window. And um, he just talked to you at length about like just the ways of the world and like how things were operating and stuff. And he'd have these like side conversations with like pupils in the room. Like um, I wanted to talk to him about like the political situation in the UK. And he just like sits down with you and just like has a random chat with you about it for like 10 minutes in the middle of the lesson. And he was honestly just like a, barrel of laughs and it was completely mental I have no idea what the rest of the school thought of this guy but we all loved him and it was amazing because it was like it's making that educate like like there's a lot of education to jump through hoops and it's spoon feed it to me so I know how to pass an exam and I get why students and young people want that because it's really anxiety provoking and stuff but I, I actually think the, the most inspiring teachers that you have are the ones that just go off script and they they make you want to learn for the love of learning and you want to understand it you're not just doing it to pass an exam um and and, and connecting with you on that it's it's really um inspirational and they can do that but it's very difficult to do within the current educational landscape in this country and elsewhere i'm sure uh yeah i mean i don't know i've, I've never worked at a, the university like that but i know that the best coaches or the best teachers like you're saying invoke this sense of curiosity so mm. instead of doing this because when i was in school I just did what I needed to do to memorize the information so I could take the test, mm -hmm. so I could get the grade, so I could play the sport. Now, as like a podcaster, I'm much more curious about things. And that's way cool. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't like I don't know where I developed the sense of curiosity later in life, but if we can have a person invoke that in us early, it's not like you're gonna like every subject. That's that's mm -hmm. just not your personality. But if you can have a sense of like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool and I can see where this might track and this makes sense or and then, oh, these subjects really interest me. I want to dive deeper into here. And then you find those teachers who who sort of give you the wings to to fly and then you flourish. And then it's like all sorts of magical things can happen after that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it's way less instrumental. And that whole idea of like self-actualizing in that through that curiosity and really getting to know yourself. And yeah, I, I think it can be um, a really great experience, but and a lifelong one as well. It means you can take learning and education out of 
this idea that it's something that happens when you're young and then you, you learn everything you need to learn and then you can contribute to society in a as a functioning adult with all the knowledge that you need. And instead you can move away from that to that idea of, you know, this is a process that you go on, you know, for your entire life and you can open up the whole landscape of education. And, and also for the teacher, the teacher doesn't have to be this expert person that imparts a load of knowledge onto young people that, that you, you can be a person that's actually part of that journey with them. I mean, I teach on like similar modules every year at university, but, um, I like kind of take a different approach or I learn something new by the end of it um, each time because you've considered new things and each class in front of you is different. So I think it's mutually beneficial in that sense. Yeah. Speaking of the stuff that you, you teach, um, let's get into that. Now, I, I kind of want to ask this question at the top, like what has been the most mm, concerning, let's say, bit of research that you've stumbled upon in terms of online sexual behavior or consent or uh, what young people are dealing with? Yeah, sure. Because, um, yeah, that's my kind of predominant focus of my research. So as well as teaching in the university, I go um, into schools and I do research with young people to understand everything that you've just said, you know, their, their online sexual behaviors, uh, their offline sexual behaviors as well, like how the two kind of come together and particularly this issue um, around consent. And I think, um, like from my perspective, um, I, I, I find it very, um, something I found increasingly disturbing is just how unhelpful in some senses, the current like landscape is around, um, what we tell young people about consent and the messages that we give out and what we want them to learn and what and, and like as adults, you know, in their lives, parents, teachers, whoever, what we want them to learn and absorb and, and act and just how, well, at best, maybe it's not having any impact or not really having, you know, a significant impact, but at worst, it might actually be antagonizing some of the problems that we see going on um, between young people. And, and actually, I mean, I'm not like, maybe this will sound a bit, incendiary but but actually it'd be better if we just didn't bother and we didn't do anything because <laughs> we're, we we might actually be making it worse with some of what mm. we do um and i think that's something i'm becoming kind of increasingly like concerned about as i go through this and trying to find um some solutions to that and ways of addressing that um that are actually feasible and realistic um and and don't kind of, i'm not here to like slag off teachers in schools because of how they deliver sex education on consent or whatever but because it's a hard thing to do and I understand that but it's how can we maybe improve what we do um as the adults in these young people's lives for sure yeah but it's obviously incredibly important and something that can really harm you know boys and girls for the rest mm -hmm. of their life if not you know done or talked about in an appropriate manner that fits both genders um sort of mm -hmm. in the way that they learn so what is yeah. what's the current the current rhetoric around this stuff in schools yeah so from the perspective that i'm doing this research england um and i'm sure that it's kind of maybe some comparisons in um other similar countries culturally or whatever and um yeah it's it's very much of this okay you know young people are potentially experiencing sexual behaviors that might be unwanted or about which they're not sure whether they even want you know there's a lot of ambivalence isn't there around 
um, you know, participation in sexual behaviours through the teenage years and also arguably into adulthood as well. And when you look at the data on that too. Um, and there's this idea that, you know, what we need to be doing is teaching young people about consent. And you mentioned the gender issue, the idea being that, you know, there are all these boys that are behaving towards girls in ways that are unwanted by the girls, harassing, um, you know, physical, you know, sexual behaviours that the girls don't want and, you know, um, online behaviours that, you know, pressuring girls to send images of themselves. I don't know, boys watching porn and learning all this horrible stuff that then they go out and they do to girls. And, and there's this idea that, like, education needs to talk to boys about masculinity and consent and all the things that are potentially going wrong um, in order to encourage them to behave better towards girls, basically. Um, and I'm really kind of split on on that. I, you know, I, I get it that there, there is, you know, that there are definitely some some issues. And I, you know, and I do do work with girls where you hear about unwanted experiences. You hear about the girls kind of feeling pressure to, to engage in certain stuff that they don't want to engage in. And there are there's a lot of work to be done around changing some of that and, and, and some of the very normalized patterns of behavior. You know, it's not even like obviously non-consensual. It's, it's just going along with stuff because you just think it's what you've got to do. There's, there's so much kind of going on there. Um, but I think something I'm getting more interested in is like the way we frame boys within that set of narratives, because this idea, I think it's, I think it's a problem for a lot of reasons. This idea that like boys full stop are like learning a toxic masculinity. They're learning all of these bad behaviors and bad attitudes. I think that's not necessarily true. I don't think all boys are behaving in this really horrible way. Like, I just don't think that's true. I know that gets into that whole hashtag, not all men thing, which I don't know, some people take issue with. And I don't mean it like that. I just mean that I think if you just talk to a whole classroom of boys about how terrible they all are, I mean, you're just going to lose half the room because they're not going to identify themselves in that. I think also it doesn't engage boys constructively within the conversation. Um, it, it just problematizes them and, you know, who wants to engage in a conversation where they're just being told that they're awful, even if maybe mm. there are things that they're doing wrong. And then also I think there are problems with overly reifying, essentializing, or how we want to call it, generalizing basically about young people's experiences. And there are boys that have experiences of victimization. There are girls that have good, agentic sexual experiences and behaviors. And they're not always victims. And sometimes they can actually victimize boys. You know, there, there's a lot of different dynamics going on. And I think it actually goes back in a way to the conversation that we we're having at the start about teaching and learning. And how can we actually have a more curious, open way of engaging with young people about some of the challenges that they face in this area without necessarily going in thinking we as adults already know what all the problems are and we're just going to like give you a lecture on toxic masculinity or consent and then hopefully that will solve all the problems I don't think it solves the problems like I say I think it either doesn't work at all or it might even make the problem worse so that's pretty much in a nutshell where I'm at with my thinking on this yeah. The thing about masculinity with young boys is that if the conversation starts with 
you're inherently bad because you're a, a boy, you're not you're not going to attract anyone to think differently. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Because that's why people like Andrew Tate have been, quote unquote, successful in their messaging, because they have the symptom correct. They obviously don't have the correct answers or solutions, obviously, but mm -hmm. they have the right symptom, which is, uh, you know, reframing this idea of masculinity. Masculinity is like a hammer. A hammer can be used to build something or a hammer can be used to smash the fuck out of someone's face. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it's inherently not a bad thing, but it can be used in a toxic way. And that's how we have to frame it. The same thing as any person. We all have good and evil inside of us. Hopefully, I let the good shine out more than I let the evil shine out. And the same with masculinity. If I can say it's just the energy that you possess, how can we then frame it in a way where you can use it in a positive light? Because the most masculine men, the most healthy men are respectful and kind to the opposite sex because they see the beauty in that person and they're able to share that beauty with people. Now, for a 13, 14 15, 16 year old, that's very challenging. We just have to get them to maybe admit who, what sex they like. That's, all, that's a big deal. Okay. So you do like women. Great. Now, how can we tell them that we're attracted to them without like, you know, uh, basically being mean to them? That's basically what we did when we were younger. Um, how can we do that in a different way? But, you know, teasing is, is, and banter is still part of a good relationship, but there's always a line with that. And so I think, you're going to get more boys engaged if you inherently tell them that they're good, they can be good. Here's where we might be mm -hmm. able to go wrong and then build it from there. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And this is where I think um, this point I'm making about making the situation potentially worse lands because I think if, we, if we're thinking heterosexual, yeah, you know, the boys that are saying, okay, I like girls and I want to find ways to have relationships and interactions with them. Um, okay, yeah, absolutely, you can fall back on behaviours that are potentially inappropriate or harassing or, or unpleasant for the girl who's on the receiving end of it, whether you intend it to be or not. And, you know, we need to find a way through that issue, whether that be addressing the intentional behaviours or the unintentional behaviours. I think the problem with some of the framing around some of this, particularly where we go in saying, you're doing something wrong, you could get in trouble for what you're doing, it's potentially illegal, yada, yada. You're actually setting up that heterosexual interaction as like this unpleasant, risky, like us and them kind of attack and defense kind of dynamic. And I don't think that's necessarily going to help young people get any closer to a positive, healthy, beneficial interaction, which is what most boys and girls kind of want out of life and and actually what we can do through hammering home this message of like boys you've got to sort your behavior out you could get in trouble for this yada yada is is they can become more hostile towards the opposite sex because it's like you know you could get me into trouble you know you i don't know how to hand you know it's that narrative isn't it of like um girls don't speak honestly about what they want girls are going to report me girls are this girls are that it's it's so divisive and i think instead if we can help young people understand like we're all individuals we're all trying to like navigate these ideas and we're all trying to like figure out what we want and how we want to be um we can actually like come together on that a little bit more rather than see each other as like distinct and opposing forces and we get that when we sit and we talk to girls because the girls are being taught all the time that like boys could hurt them and mm. I don't think that's a really great way to be introducing young people to relationships I think actually your relationships can be a space of of, of really positive safe like 
great experiences and where you can grow actually as a person within your relationships because you know you could have and actually a lot of the research plays this out because boys themselves can feel quite ambivalent about the way in which like masculinity and power can kind of operate on that social and cultural level you know they they see it going on within their peer groups they they know that banter that's kind of like painful at certain times, but then they need to like act up to it to get status and reward. And, you know, the boys you speak to can feel quite conflicted by some of that. And, and they're like, we can kind of get victimized in some of that narrative as well. And there's a lot of pressure on them. So the boys can actually be quite nuanced about that. And it's in their interpersonal relationships, be that with other boys that they're friends with or, or girls that they end up being friends with or, or intimate with that they can start engaging in in different ideas and different types of relationships and really positive growth and positive development can come from that for them. These relationships do not have to be all about risk and harm and negativity. And I think that's actually where we've got to with some of the narrative now of like boys saying, well, and young men, I'm not going to approach girls. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. I'm going to get into trouble. They're going to call me I don't know, that, that I'm harassing them and I, and all of this. And, and you think, oh, blimey, like, is that the outcome of, of all of this? Like, is that really what where we want to get to? And I think if we can try and shift the narrative um, away from the negativity, I think that that can really help, well, all young people, whoever they're attracted to. Um, because, you know, same-sex attracted young people, there can still be abuse and stuff go on within those relationships we all need to be hearing these ideas about what it means to be happy and healthy in our relationships and for ourselves right yeah i mean relationships are the cornerstone and the foundation of our society and so mm -hmm. the majority of intimate partners are you know men and women not to say they're the only ones obviously but that's the majority of what we see and if i see all women as adversaries that i have to either avoid or crush to get to where I want, then how am I ever going to build an honest reciprocal relationship with a female? And same on the other side with with women, if women only think that men are these tyrannical, you know, abusers, then of course, if a guy approaches them in a bar, that's the in the back of their minds, so they're not even going to really receive what he might be saying. And the guy is thinking like, oh, fuck, I hope I'm not seen as creepy. This is, oh, shit, what the fuck? And like, he's not his best, most energetic, charismatic self. Now, this is a little off from like, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. But this is the sort of the information they're learning that when they get out into the real world, this is what they're going to think about when they try to, you know, get these romantic, intimate partners. And, and then your first sexual experiences are just going to be even sort of more weird than they would be already because they're very weird uh you know already if you even like know the person or you've been friends for a while or this is your first date or you know whatever the case may be is so now it just creates even more tension and more adversary and you know the data shows that like men 18 to 25 haven't approached a girl in like a year because they're they're they, they're going to be seen as creepy there's more sexless males than there has ever been in the history of the world which i know if you're as a woman you're like oh good fine no but that's not good it's not good for yeah. society it's not good for the the longevity of our society it's not good for you know creating little communities that can build people and potentially children and all of this stuff so yeah yeah no 100 percent. and i yeah and i think actually it's it's also not great because of what it symbolizes because of where it's come from if you have this adversarial fraught risk environment that's set up between um girls and boys men and women and, and it's resulted in some of the, the that data that you 
that you say there about like men sort of exiting the entire market of, of sexual interactions, that's not, that doesn't symbolize anything positive. That is not a, like a positive move forward, right? That, that isn't good. And I, you know, and I think actually like something that you're, you're kind of touching on there that I find interesting is, is, is that idea of we're almost like projecting this notion of masculine and femininity onto each other through our relationships. So like, it's, it's one of the reasons that I don't think, um, I, I agree with you entirely when you say like people like Andrew Tate, they are tapping into a very real kind of psychic crisis within boys and young men and so on. But absolutely the solutions that they're offering is almost like more projection of masculinity. Like, mm -hmm. okay, what, what we can do here with girls and women is use them as like vessels for our own masculine identity. And this is how we can manage our masculinity through them. And if they play this role and we play this role, then we will be able to self-actualize as masculine men um, as long as we will play the game correctly. But I don't actually think relationships should be games. They shouldn't, you know, we know from, I mean, Sigmund Freud and that telling us about, you know, what projection really is like, okay, it's a defense mechanism. It's, it's not actually going to get you to where you really have a sense of self that you can endorse and you can, you can live out through your relationships. And we, we see that with, um, young men and then and they're, then they're going into adulthood and you know we can see things about mental health crisis and suicide and, and you know the, the issues that men then face this is not actually the solution um and likewise you know girls and women have long had to play up to the demands of femininity that have straightjacketed them in terms of what they're able to do um in their own lives and and, and sexually and, and all of that and i think the more we can find pathways forward for, you know, for, for all young people and all of, all of us really to think about, like, what, what does this mean? And th there are gender-based and sex-based differences between males and females and, and men and women and stuff that, that do really need to be noted and, 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 and explored and celebrated. And, and all of that is great. But then there's also, okay, what scope do we have to be individuals within all of that? And how can we do that with the choices that we make in our relationships and and how we treat each other and this is what i mean about open-ended um learning around this because i don't you know i know it's probably as for in the us as it is in the uk right now but you know you go in and you try to deliver relationships and sex ed to kids on this type of stuff and it you know and and, and it's all really like controversial and what are they being taught and what's age appropriate and adults ideologically doctrinating them with certain ideas and I'm like well you know I, I don't know actually what the ideas are that these kids should be taking away I I can't actually indoctrinate them with anything because I mean I don't know what the answer to any of this is what I would really like them to do is as young people have a bit of space to just reflect on mm. some of these tensions and this idea of okay get what you know I, I've sat and I've had so many conversations with boys where they'll talk about the way they feel about girls and what they think about Andrew Tate and all of this stuff. And they get it all out on the open. And I'm just like, okay, this is all really interesting. Like all of your thoughts and feelings about this, are, they make a hundred percent sense to me, but like, how about I, I try with some different ideas for you and I can just try them out for you in the room and you, you can see what you think and, you know, and you can kind of bounce off of me in response. Like I'm not going to kind of tell you what to think. Um, I'm just going to give you some ideas and hopefully you can leave having reflected on those ideas a bit and maybe that will help you 
like with the next day in your life or whatever and talk about it with other people and try it out or whatever um i don't think relationships have a solution but like yeah here we go tick the box you're going to be cool for the rest of your life it doesn't work like that does it we know that as adults do we so in relationships right, right? yeah i i think what you're alluding to is that we're trying to equip them with the tools so mm -hmm. that when they do go out into the world and experience all these different relationships, the good ones, the heartbreaks, the awkward ones, you know, all of these in between, hopefully not the really bad ones where like it's abuse and all of that stuff, but just like the regular ones that everyone happens, the rejection, all of that stuff, you're going to be able to think about these things in, a, in just like a little bit deeper way. Like, okay, that made sense there. Okay. I can maybe go about this differently. I can express this a little bit differently. Maybe there is a point for this. And because they had open-ended conversations, not like you have to do this. This is how you do it all the time, no matter what, like nothing in life works like that, except like one or two things where things are like black and white, but in relationship it is not because you're dealing with a person who feels different each day or thinks about different things or, you know, has a bad night of sleep or got yelled at by their boss and all of these great things that make relationships so hard, but make them worthwhile. Um, and that's why I, you know, I prefer young boys to listen to Jordan Peterson. Um, you know, I am yeah. someone who listened to them, has been listening to him for a long time. And it's about responsibility and ownership. How can I take responsibility and ownership over my life, my masculinity, mm -hmm. my choices, and be the best person I can be? Because one of my favorite things yeah. that he says is that if all of the women in the world don't find you attractive, it's not their fault. It's yours. Yeah, yeah. I love That's that so thing. much. Right. Yeah. Because why would it be a woman's mm -hmm. fault if every one of them agrees that you're not attractive? Do things that yeah. then make you attractive. You know, clean your mm -hmm. room, get a job, work out, shave your face, have some personal hygiene, find things that interest you so you can talk about them. Like all of these things mm -hmm. are learnable, trainable skills. Now you might not, you can't reconstruct your face to make your jawline prettier or whatever the case may be. Like I get that. There's some barriers to it, but the way like women love funny, charismatic men who have energy about them. Like that is something you can learn and you can train and you can do. And that's not like this thing you're born with. And those things we have to take responsibility over. Yeah, it's hard to admit to ourselves like, yeah, I, I don't really have a lot going for me right now. Okay, great. Let, all right, I get it. But what can you do about it so much? You have personal sovereignty to take control of your life. And the same with women now. They have, they have, you know, all of this freedom to to make these choices. I think modern day feminism has now put them in a separate box that they weren't in before, um, which I think has handicapped them because, you know, women should be able to make choices, but now they feel like they have to be this ultra thriving boss. Instead, what if they want to be a stay-at-home mom? Now they're looked down upon for that when it should be like this open-ended thing to make whatever choice you want to make, not continually over years, create a box and put you in and call that modern or being progressive yeah i completely agree with that and i think that self-awareness and that kind of emotional literacy and understanding yourself is so vital you know what am i searching for from this situation why might i be you know acting this way or or, or having the relationships and interactions in my life that i'm having like what is it that i need to understand about what's going on here for me and i think that is definitely a skill that can be honed and practiced. And some of the boys that I chat to are very aware that there are status hierarchies. Um, you know, women, you know, Jordan Pearson says, don't they, they, they date sideways and upwards. You, you know, we know on dating sites, 
there is kind of discrimination, if we want to call it that, about like height and loads of stuff that can negatively affect certain guys. And, and, and the boys can be like really aware of that stuff, but then they can be quite nuanced around like, yeah, that exists. But also then it's down to you to like figure out who you are and what you have to offer. And you can sit in your room and be like, begrudging that forever and where's that going to get you you have to deal with it and you have you know and you have to think about what do I have to offer because every woman girl is different and is, is potentially going to be attracted and to you for different reasons and, and you know you can't feeling sorry for yourself is going to get you anywhere and I think if we can give empowering inspiring messages like that it's really it's really good to see I think what we because I have had like a I'm upset in a way by like the idea that women being able to achieve equality has always has been seemingly about their ability to participate in male spaces or you know can you be the ceo can you be this can you be that like and then that's meant that feminine spaces or whatever we want to call them have now become like oh no if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're this or you're that that that's almost become the low status thing and i i think that's almost like just caused the same problem but in the other direction like you say you're as boxed in as you were before and I think as we're seeing a kind of equivalent thing happening with men because we're saying right men have got this you know mental health suicide whatever it is that we're concerned about men what men therefore need to do is talk more about their emotions in the way that women do and I was talking with another guy on a podcast about this recently and I'm like I don't think we need to be prescribing these solutions for people. I think human flourishing and human freedom is not about saying, this is how you do it. It's about saying, okay, how are you going to be able to learn for yourself what that looks like for you? And, um, you know, and I think actually sometimes Jordan Peterson, because yeah, I, I listen to him a lot. I love his podcast and all the rest of it. And I think sometimes what he's really getting at is almost metaphorical ways of thinking about take responsibility for yourself and understand yourself making your bed in the morning is not like all of a sudden you're going to have all these women because you've made your bed it's a mindset isn't it mm -hmm. and it's how can you develop a mindset of self-awareness responsibility um, and all the rest of it and that as of yet we don't know what that outcome is even going to look like for you yet maybe as the woman you will be the ceo or maybe you'll be at home looking after six kids. We don't actually know yet. And that's cool because independent thinking and empowerment or whatever could look like either. And it's about, do you have a range of choices available to you? Do you endorse it? Does it work for you? Um, and I think the more we can get boys and young men reflecting on that for themselves, that's why I don't think Andrew Tate has a solution because he's just offering another artificial construct as a solution that maybe works for a couple of people maybe that's cool great for them but it's you know anybody that says i've got the solution for you i mean i just have a like inherent distrust for them i'm like no it's about your own journey and actually young people themselves find that quite alienating they're like i don't want to be told what the solution is like i want you to like help me figure it out in my own way because exactly as you say they're going to have loads of different experiences in relationships relationships is a lifelong journey you know 40 50 you know what what might be happening for people is changing all the time and it is about what do you need to know to go on that journey for yourself and i think as well-meaning adults sometimes we worry about young people you know we want them to be safe and we think if we just hammer them home with like loads of information if we give them like this is what you've got to do in this situation right box ticked they're okay we don't need to worry anymore but i think that's a bit of a false sense of security because it's not working you know, talk, talking to boys about porn and 
I don't know, online image sharing and all the stuff that we're worried about, like, oh God, it just has not worked. It has not stopped any of the behaviours, even though we've like rammed home a load of information to them. It's not worked at all. Yeah, anyone who anyone who tells you they have it all figured out all of the time is either stupid or lying. So that's exactly. people you should yeah. definitely not trust. <laughs> they um, don't have the self-awareness clearly themselves. You know, if they're saying, yeah, I'm all cool. Well, no one would ever say that. Yeah. No, it's like, it doesn't exist. Like Another reason have, why, yeah. um, you know, Andrew Tate, like makes me suspicious because you're way too narcissistic into yourself. Like no way, where is your like acknowledgement that you are not, as perfect as you are making yourself out to be. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, cool. it's like the only people who don't have imposter syndrome are narcissists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone else yeah, is like, exactly. am I doing a good job? Do I deserve to even be talking about this? And most of the time they do, but there's a, like an inherent, like I'm not good enough. So I'm going to keep striving. Now that's a different conversation to fix that not good enough part, but it always mm-hmm. keeps you a little bit curious and trying to learn and trying to grow because you have the sense of like, oh, should I even be in this space? You definitely should be again, yeah. separate chat, but those who think like, I'm perfect. I got it all figured out. Everyone should listen to me all the time. Like a uh, narcissist. Yeah. And you know, I was, who was saying it the other, I was listening to something the other day about how like, if you don't feel imposter syndrome ever, then you're not taking enough risks. You're not putting mm-hmm. yourself in new situations enough. Actually, sometimes that feeling of imposter syndrome is like, oh my God, yeah, I'm taking stuff on. Like, this is pretty overwhelming. Like, am I going to be able to do it? If you play imposter syndrome, right if you don't let it cripple you it can be a real motivating thing of like yeah i'm gonna go for something i haven't kind of tried before and actually we talk about that with the boys about how do you cope with rejection because yeah you know that 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 is a really horrible thing to have to deal with you know and actually some of the the abusive ways the boys can behave like if girls kind of ignore them or whatever can be that almost projection of shame can't it and and actually it's how do you say, do you know what? I am going to take a chance on this and it might be embarrassing. It might hurt, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm not going to kind of have a go at the girl or whatever. Like there's so much vulnerability in relationships actually. And I don't, and it doesn't have to be this feminized vulnerability of boys crying at movies or whatever to connect with a girl. It doesn't, but it can be a form of vulnerability actually that that can connect you. And I, and something I say to the boys is like, as long as you're not doing it in a way that you're kind of objectifying or using that girl for your own agenda you know like you're you're kind of I don't know shouting something out to her in the street to like show off in front of your mates or something like that like you're using that kind of person as an object that's a very alienating and unpleasant thing to do but if you're going with that genuine interest and it's it's based on some sort of mutuality then you know, then it can be okay, even if she isn't interested. Likewise with consent. I do think consent is really vital in all sexual interactions. It should be based on both people in the room really wanting to be there and really feeling comfortable and, and, and happy with what's going on. And and every both parties or all parties, depending on what you're into, have to take responsibility for making sure that that's present. But, but you know, that doesn't mean that, like, every sexual interaction you're going to have is going to be great. Actually, mm-hmm. you can have consensual sex that did not feel great, but like the consent side of it makes it safe and okay to kind of go on that journey with with people sexually and figure out what you like and what you don't like. But it doesn't mean everything's going to be pleasurable. It doesn't mean everything's going to go really well all the time. It's not. There are going to be tough times, um, and it's about okay, like how do we navigate that and, and how do we do that 
like with respect for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to think about vulnerability as the combination of courage and truth. So if you put mm -hmm. those two together, then going out to speak to a woman is definitely courageous and you should be truthful. Like if I spot a girl uh, and I really think that she has pretty eyes or the way what she wore looked beautiful, like that's truthful. Go tell her that. Mm -hmm. Not like do some weird nagging trick that they teach you in like pickup artistry where you're like mm. supposed to be like a peacock thing. Like just be courageous and truthful. And then you have to think about the woman who ha like has a tough time probably telling you like either no or yes, depending on her day and how many times someone's come up to her. So you have to also think about someone else outside of that. Like it's also very hard to tell someone like, no, I'm not interested. Cause a lot of times women have to make up this like two minute elaborate story uh, that will get a guy to believe them. So they fucking walk away. And so we have to go with that too. Like thinking about the person we're about to talk to, what they might be doing, how they might be feeling. And I'm still going to be courageous and truthful because regardless if I get rejected or not, I know that I did what I set out to do. I tried to talk to a yeah. girl. I said my piece. I said an honest thing, which the most exciting thing you can do in life is be honest, according to Dr. Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. And you were courageous. And that's not something to be ashamed about ever. Now, you might go talk yeah. to 50 women and get zero numbers. Great. But the same thing is going to happen when you go and get a job or you try to apply for university. Like You're going to get rejected. And if we can learn at a young age that I can always get back up, I can always get back up then it's going to be that much easier to get back up because you're arming yourself with these skills, um, specifically in part of uh, relationships. You're not going to meet the person you're going to spend your life with, you know, when you're 16, like some people do. And that's fucking incredible. You know, I took yeah. me till I was 28 years old to meet the love of my life. And so there was a lot of stuff in between that happened, you know, that yeah. allowed me to uh, actually be ready to meet that person. Cause I, if I had met her when I was 22, I would have just had to try to have sex with her and then I would have moved on. Uh, you know, so yeah. thank God the timing was the way it was. And so there's a lot of things that young boys can start to think about. Um, and it doesn't come with, don't do this. This is bad. This is wrong. I'm going to try and do the opposite because that's just like who I am. Yeah. But if I can give them a context, then they can learn from themselves through experience. And I think that's important. Yeah. I, I there's so much you said there that, that I agree with that idea of like the actual journey is really vital that actually we don't want to solve this stuff. Like yeah, by the time you're 16 and there you go, relationship sorted, you're with the person you're going to be with. Absolutely, you need to go on that journey because then when you do meet the right person, it's 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 the right time and absolutely everything that you say. And I think um, tapping into this almost notion of like perspective taking that you're, that you're getting, because say like with the consent stuff, what kids are often being taught, like in the England context at least, is, is um, you know, this is what the law says about consent. Um, you know, you need to get it. Otherwise, you're potentially going to be engaging in illegal sexual behavior. And like the idea, particularly as a boy, you're the one that's going to be kind of potentially in trouble illegally. And then the girl is potentially going to be the victim in the situation. And um, they're also being taught often, the schools I go into anyway, the kids are often being taught about affirmative consent. And I know that's really big in the US and like college campuses and stuff are teaching about affirmative consent. So this idea of yes means yes, anything less than yes is not consent. You've got to hear a no, all the rest of it and, 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 and all of that. And I get like the well-meaning, like endorsement of, of that kind of education. I completely get where people are coming from with it. But it feeds back into that like attack and defense kind of us and them thing. So the, the boys are thinking, right, OK, in order 
to like have safe legal sex I have to like get the girl to say yes and like that's and in a way actually in the UK at least our legal system doesn't require affirmative consent so they're already getting that all mixed up together but they're thinking okay if I don't get this clear directly communicated yes game over I am potentially going to get arrested this is a complete nightmare I can't do any of this and but then they're saying but you know what like in a sexual situation people don't always say yes or no it's really difficult for both boys and girls to give and receive rejection there's loads of like peer pressure so even if like the girl does say yes she might be just feeling like loads of pressure and then she can't really talk and you know and and all of this and so they're really feeling like oh my god like this roadmap or, or set of factual solutions, you know, that, that didactic learning of just do X, Y, and Z that the adults are doing is just making them feel really anxious. And then the problem is they then get, well, some boys get hostile. They're like, well, you know what? Those girls that don't communicate properly and they say yes when they don't mean it and they don't say no because they're worried about rejection. Oh God, you know, those girls are going to get me into trouble. And I think it's trying to like, shift into that like well you know if you're feeling insecure and confused and all of the feelings that you've got as a guy in that scenario then like let's humanize the girl a little bit here as well like she might not be the evil girl that wants to get you into trouble she might just be like struggling herself and how can we you know it goes back I guess to what we were saying right at the beginning how can we enable men and women girls and boys to come together and understand and take each other's perspective and 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 have empathy for each other in these really fraught difficult moments because you know otherwise I do think like it will just become more and more hostile to the extent of like we're just going to move further and further apart um where and and I think you know women maybe need to like accept some of that you know um I, I mean not that it happens often but you know what I mean like okay guy approaches you you're not massively interested I'm not going to be like oh what the hell you know you you acknowledge like oh yeah like this is pretty big that you've just done this like how can we treat each other just a little bit better Mm. you know and 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 be a bit mindful of like how people because that's how we have relationships full stop like if I've got friends or family or or work colleagues how do we want to treat each other like that and 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 I think the more we can understand ourselves as individuals the more emotional literacy we can have, the more opportunities. for, And that's where I do think boys need spaces to do that with each other, because I don't think that, you know, and I'm not saying it needs to be the feminized thing. Let's all burst into tears and like do whatever. You know, I don't think it has to look the way that girls do it. I think it has to look the way that works for boys. And, 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 and we need to explore what that might be. But you know, I, I do think men and boys need opportunities for that because it's their personal growth. And if they're finding that like, and this is what a lot of teenage boys say to me, if they're finding that their teenage relationships is, you know, there's a lot of pressure, they've got to act up to their male peer groups, they can feel really alienated from it. And then they're going into a classroom being told, you've got toxic masculinity, um, you've got male privilege, you as boys are all horrible, horrible. So that individual boy that's potentially struggling to navigate all of that, it's a really alienating message. And I think as like the adults, we need to be giving them different spaces to, to articulate some of those concerns in ways that work for them. Otherwise, it is just the, the Andrew Tates of the world that are, that are tapping into those feelings. Right. Yeah, the sort of the underlying charge, I think, of these young relationships is this sense of belonging. 
because mm. if I'm the only person in my friend group who hasn't kissed a girl or held hands with a girl or gone on a date with a girl or had sex with a girl, I have to do whatever it takes to not be this person so I can fit in with my friends. And that will cause mm -hmm. young boys to do things that are not nice and not good because they have this sense of belonging. And the same with the girls. Like if, if, if all the you know girls in their group have, have kissed boys and they have boyfriends and all this stuff and, and this girl's a prude because she doesn't want to do it and whatever the words they used, she's prop might be more inclined to say yes to something when she really doesn't want to. She wants to wait. She, she wants to get to know someone better. She wants to have a better understanding of herself. Like that underlying sense of belonging is really good because it brings friend people together, obviously, because the need for relationships. But for young people, it can cause you to do things that you don't want to do because you're, you don't really know who you are yet. I mean, even yeah. adults don't really have this firm grasp of who they are and the core values they want to live by. So we can't expect mm -hmm. young people to have that also, but we can like specifically with men, with young boys, we have to give them role models. That's, mm -hmm. that's the key. That's the unlocking key to a young boy. Like if you look at sports, no young boy cares about what their coach says. They care about what their coach does. Mm -hmm. If he's kind to other coaches, if he's cool when you make a mistake, he's uplifting, he's encouraging, he shows up on time, he's respectful to the parents, he shakes everyone's hand. That's how they're going to do it. Not all of them, but they see that as someone, oh, that's an older man who has his shit figured out, like on the outside, you know, doesn't matter what else goes on behind closed doors, but that's someone I can become. And so that's yeah. why social media is so crucial because if young boys get trapped down this rabbit hole of sort of the wrong role model, who these charismatic guys who have fast cars and lots of money and hot girls around them, well, shit, why can't I do that? That's the role model they're going to go about. And so especially in schools, if we can present them in real life, like real strong role models who are doing the thing they want to do and then preaching this stuff about consent and relationships and reciprocity, then young boys are more likely to go and do that because they have a model of what to do, not just like a, a woman telling them that they're toxic. You know, and I understand yeah. that a lot, there's not a lot of teachers in schools who are males and it's hard to get them into that profession. All of that stuff is a barrier. I get that. But that's sort of um, what I think about and, and the direction I think we can head in. Yeah, definitely. I think it's about kind of engaging with the idea that there are different possibilities for people and you don't have to like look at the boxes around you and think right where am I fitting in these boxes there is actually ways of reconciling some of the challenges in new and different ways that that are kind of like a win-win in a sense like because we don't have to throw masculinity out the window we don't have to throw femininity out the window there's ways of being ourselves within these overarching frameworks and I think um it's it's interesting like this idea of um the context in which we make choices because you're absolutely right with the examples that you give around like the pressures people can feel and why that then might make that might encourage them to make choices that they don't really endorse and and actually something I try and do around consent with young people is I try and say okay then fine people okay let's put aside whether anybody is ever in any scenario going to communicate with direct yes or no we don't do that in any field of life if I'm invited to go to the cinema with somebody I don't go no you you, you don't interact like that you you speak in a completely different way so but like aside from the kind of nature of um the interaction 
actually, why do we make the choices that we make? And we're bringing a lot to a relationship, to a sexual interaction. And potentially the feelings that we're bringing aren't actually really about each other. The boy has got in his head, oh, like my mate, so I'm the only virgin, I'm this, I'm that. The girl's bringing her ideas and they're trying to carve a way forward with those things going on in their mind separately. And I think that can be a real barrier to like self-knowledge, to communication, to like a positive interaction. And what I try and say with these young people is like, let's try and identify what might be going on in the room, like all the invisible stuff that might hinder the ability to have like a genuinely wanted, genuinely consensual interaction here. And there can be ambivalence with that. So for example, like some of the girls I speak to will say, you know, like you kind of do want to like, you know, you do fancy a guy and you do kind of want to like experiment with him, but then you're worried because like, what if he's going to think you're a slag and what if then he's going to go off and like not want to talk to you after like, and so there's a lot of like internal conflict. Um, and likewise with boys feeling I've got to like lose my virginity, but they they don't really want to have sex in that moment. And there's so much stuff going on. And I think the more you can help them to unpick all that, A, it aids in their self-knowledge and development and B, it helps with that perspective taking, because if they're struggling, they can start to empathize with the fact their partner might be struggling too. Um, and it can lead to that honesty and vulnerability because you can think, well, we're all kind of just humans here trying to like find our way forward. And I think where role models can model dealing with that ambivalence and being the guy that like is kind of cool and has the masculinity vibe, but also treats people with respect. You can piece together all these different like dimensions of yourself. You don't have to only be one way. Um, and I think that can be really um, empowering actually for, for all um, individuals to find out, well, what's it gonna look like for me? Because it's not, okay, yeah, here's the role model, go and do what he does. It's here's the role model offering you something that might make you realize that you've got more options than you think. And, you know, being a good person um, actually is a, is, is a journey and it's contextually specific and it's, it's all the different stuff that you've got to work through on that. And the more influences you have around you, I think the better. And actually the way, and I'm not singing my own, what would it be? Blowing my own trumpet, whatever the expression is. On myself should, here, but actually what some of the boys say to me is that it's really nice talking to a woman who is not just banging on about feminism or banging on about how boys all need to change it's actually really nice to know that girls and women don't actually you know the stereotype they have in their mind of what a woman's going to be like walking in to deliver something on this they're like oh you're not like this is really cool and they like it and it means they can practice talking to me in a way maybe they haven't with other women in their lives and they enjoy it and they get something out of it and they're like oh yeah it was good to know we can we, we can have these chats in a different way and so it's just opening up all the possibilities like we were kind of saying at the beginning that's what learning is all about isn't it the more open yeah. you are that, that's what you're trying to do for people and for yourself I mean god you know every group conversation or whatever that I have with with some teenage boys every time I just walk out of the room like okay, I don't even know what to make of that conversation that we just had. You know, I'm already like thinking and reflecting about stuff because, you know, I, and that's where I think we need to like, like meet boys where they're at because they are going to be teenage boys and they're going to have, you said it, I think at some point, you know, they're going to have the banter, they're going to have this stuff. And we need to help them figure out how to do that in a way that's not like sexual harassment or abuse or whatever, but 
you know, it is how they want to talk and, and we have to go with that sometimes. And, you know, it could be quite fun for us as well when we do that with them. Yeah. The, <laughs> um, the funniest thing that I've ever had uh, a young boy ask me was uh, after a baseball game, we're, we're sitting down waiting to talk about the game. And he goes, hey, coach, um, I heard on TikTok that 69 is how you make babies. Is that true? <laughs> Right. Okay. <laughs> what did you say in response? I'd love to know. <laughs> I didn't I was I was absolutely floored by the question. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, uh, yep, that's yep, that's how it's done. And um and I didn't know what to say. So I was just Yeah, like, good luck yeah. to you on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. I, I was speaking to like some fourteen year olds ages ago and they were like talk you know the bases. So you've got like base one, two, three, four. Um, and like four being like four full penetrative sex. And I was like, they were like, oh, no, 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 there's six bases now. What? And I was like, okay, six, right? What, what's the what's the other two then? Because they're like five and six, like more than penetrative. They were like, guess, guess. And I'm like, guys, I can't. And I was like, okay, so like anal sex is one then? They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, like maybe like more than one person, like group or something. They were like, no, no. And they were just going on. And number six is having sex with a girl on her period. And I was like, okay. And I was like, right, so is that the base you want to get to? Like, do you really want to be doing this stuff? They were like, oh, no, like, that's disgusting. Like, you don't want to do it. But like, you've got to do it, though, because then you can say you've had sex with a girl on her period. And I was like, oh, man, like, how much do we actually have to unpack here with, like, the motivations to have sex? Like, what you're even doing there with, like, showing off about it and stuff? Like, this is mental, but... But like, this is how they're thinking, right? It's mm -hmm. all just like this big game, this big like moment. And you know, when you just think to yourself, like I'm sitting, talking to 14 year olds about having sex with a girl on her period. Like, like I, I just, if this was taken out of context, I, I just don't even know like what people would say about me right now, but this is not cool. But, but if you can get them to hopefully reflect on some of that, that they're some of the implicit, like, I don't know, I don't know the problems of some of those ideas, whatever. Um, not like, you know, if you want to have sex with a girl in her period, I know that's quite normalized. People kind of do that if that's what you're into, but you know, like how they're talking about it, but you've got to let them almost get it out in the jokey banter way that they want to get it out. Like let that come on the table and then you can try and deal with it and hopefully move them in a positive direction with what they're saying. But if you just shut them down straight away, I notice a lot of teachers do this. They're like, that's really inappropriate and you shouldn't be saying things like that. And, you know, yada, yada. And like, you see the boys, they just sit back and they're like, oh, okay. And then they don't contribute and you've lost them. Hmm. So you've got to get the balance right with it. Um, and that can be difficult to do. Yeah, it definitely can be. But I mean, they're going to like, because with social media now, they're, they're going to see and explore all of these things, probably even if we talk about them or not. Like you and I are about the same age. I'm 31. Um, and so like, we were still thinking about these things, but much later because we hadn't discovered them yet because we weren't seeing them on our phones. Um, mm -hmm. and so when we were thinking about them, I mean, I was 18 years old when I lost my virginity and then, you know, that's when sort of, um, sexual things started happening in my life. So that's when I started thinking about them more deeply. Um, but as these young people, if I'm 13 and I can look on my phone, if I have a smartphone given to me by my parents, like I can, I could see anything. Mm -hmm. And that can be dangerous if no one's there to to talk to you about it, to tell you what's right, what's wrong, what's this, 
you know, all these sorts of things. And then you're going to make your mistakes and explore regardless, but at least someone's there to, to be a sounding board for you and to listen about what you saw or what's healthy and, and things of that nature. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, you know, I didn't have any meaningful sex education at school or, or whatever. Like we're part of that generation, I guess. And like now we're like the adults trying to do something for kids that like we didn't have ourselves and all the rest of it. But I think what the phones have done exactly as you're kind of intimating is like it's brought to life just how substandard the education actually is. Because if we're concerned about what young people are picking up and learning, it's almost like, well, yeah, what are we failing to deliver for them, right? Um, I think we do over-determine some of what they see online. You know, we think, oh, my God, these boys are watching porn and and then they're going off and they're being really abusive and they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, well, they're not, actually. Most young people are still not losing their virginity until they're 16, 17, 18. The data on that hasn't really changed. Um you know, most boys are fr- that I speak to are freaking terrified of even holding a girl's hand. They are not whipping them and strangling them to death. It's just, it's not a widespread issue. It is happening in certain, for certain young people, but they often have other risk factors that are going on for them as well. If we're worried about what young people are seeing, I think it should be an alarm bell or a light bulb for us that we just have to be having better quality conversations with them exactly as you say and not just going in telling them how bad it all is mm-hmm. but but telling them okay let, let's actually deliver some some proper information some reliable information because the kids want it if they don't think it's going to be judgmental or shame based and all of that stuff that adults sometimes have a tendency to do if they think they're going to be listened to and understood and like part of the conversation then yeah, they want the information. They want to know how stuff works and, you know, and, and all the stuff they need to know when they're, they're going out there into the world, right? Um, but we're not going to be able to lecture our way out of it. I say this to to adults. Like some adults I speak to say, oh, you know, parents will say, oh, you know, I try and speak to my son about porn and, like, he just clams up and doesn't want to talk to me. And I'm like, well, that's kind of understandable. Like I think most people don't really want to talk about porn with other people. Like if Mm. someone tried to start talking to me about porn and like, I'd be like, okay, like this is a bit awkward, you know, like this is an awkward conversation for anybody young or old. And similarly, you know, I get teachers and parents go, I have told young people that sharing nude images with each other is dangerous. That watching porn is bad, that all of this is bad or Andrew Tate is bad, but they're not listening and they're still going off and doing it. And I'm like, well, yeah, but like that's because that's how human beings operate. Like human beings don't want to be told what to do. If someone just turned up and just gave you a lecture about all the things you should and shouldn't do, you as a person probably wouldn't be that receptive. Teenagers aren't actually that different. They want two-way conversations where they are validated by people in their lives, just like we as adults want. And if you can give that to them um, and you can create those spaces for them, then potentially they're going to be a lot more receptive when you do want to give advice. Like my friends give me advice, my partner, my mom. I have loads of people in my life giving me advice. I'm receptive to that advice if I feel that they hear and understand and care about me and have shown empathy for me. If they stood up with a PowerPoint and told me that I was getting it all wrong and this is just everything I need to know and off I go and I don't get a word in, then I'm probably not going to listen to them. Like that's just human beings. We need to pitch it right and we need to respect these kids as like, you know, potentially like valid people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking at them just removes their sense of agency. 
Um, mm-hmm. And we have to be okay with them making mistakes instead mm-hmm. of vilifying them for doing the opposite of what we told them to do. They're going to explore things. Um, but mm-hmm. if we can give them the agency to be curious about that and also arming them with some of the right information to make better choices, that's better than being mm-hmm. like, hey, don't drink. Okay, great. How yeah. can I get a fake ID and go have some fucking beers? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm I mean? thinking about like those, okay, and then if I do drink and I get into trouble, who am I calling? Because I've just been told by, you know, all my safe adults, all the people that I could go to, that I shouldn't be doing this. And so I'm not going to phone them. And so it's okay to what, you know, have I actually embedded some dialogue with this young person here where they might come to me if they're in trouble? Because that's what we really need. And we see yeah. actually that the kind of abstinence-based sex education, the the um you know the really strict parenting the punitive stuff can actually just really close down that line of dialogue we're not giving kids information that they need to make safe choices and if they do make mistakes we have not enabled them to come to us for help and i think that's probably some of like a really big harm that we can actually do um when we try to intervene and maybe we're being well-meaning and it's really difficult um, because we care about these kids and we we don't want them to get into trouble or or get hurt but actually we we could be just hindering um the conversation for them and ourselves um so yeah it is difficult and we have to think about our objectives with some of this for sure because our messaging can kind of fall flat we think we've done the job but actually like the young person we've spoken to has gone off and like thought something completely different about what we've just said. So that's where yeah. two conversations, two way conversations are really good for that because you can, you can get the measure of like how the, the message is landing. Um, and you can get more of a vibe of like what this person in front of you actually needs to know in here, because sometimes as adults, we have like a misconception as to what might be going on for them. So ask questions, learn from the young person about what they think i mean you said it at the beginning about like teaching and learning you know how do you connect with somebody's needs and their and their learning style and i think that's um you know an open approach that's really important in this field as well yeah absolutely well excuse me thank you thank you dr emily where um should people go if they want more from you especially educators who may want to implement some of your programs um, yeah, sure. So um, I don't know what you sort of share when you, you put out podcasts and stuff, but um, I have like a university page. So I'm at the University of Surrey, which is in um, England. Um, and if you just search for like my name, Emily Setti with Surrey, you'll, you'll find that and you'll find everything about me. Um, I do post all the time on Twitter. I am like old, I guess I'm on Twitter rather than any of the like Instagram and TikTok and all the places where the young people are at. Um, but yeah, you know, so you can find me on there and I update. I think that's where we kind of connected, wasn't it? So um, absolutely people can follow me on there um, if they want. But I'm happy to like share anything with you um, around like handles and web links and stuff, if that would be helpful. But yeah, yeah people yeah. email me, contact me, whatever. I'm, I'm always open to that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, all that stuff will be linked in the show notes. But Cool, perfect. Uh, um, so thank you, Dr. Emily, for your time. Um, you were brilliant. Cool. And uh See you guys soon. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Dr. Emily. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But if you really 
love this podcast and want to support what we're doing here, the absolute best way to do that is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. Thank you in advance, and thank you for your continued support. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.